What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. everybody, J.J. Cooper, Jeff Ponce here, Baseball America Prospect Podcast, Minor League Podcast. It is, we're recording this T-minus oh, three and a half hours to the start of Major League Opening Day, but we also have Minor League Opening Day, AAA edition, begins on Friday, recording this on Thursday, and the rest of the minors uh, basically a week later. So we're excited to talk prospects because... Jeff has just returned from a, I would describe, I'll speak for him. He'll get to speak for himself in a second here, but a wonderful week of backfields uh, journeying after also getting to see the uh, semifinals and finals of the World Baseball Classic. So I am a very, very jealous, uh, uh, you know, podcast host here. But before we get into that, Jeff, I did also want to talk about the news that broke last night, which is that by the start of the minor league season, or especially at least by the start of the double a and class a minor league season, minor league players will be likely operating under a collective bargaining agreement. An agreement was reached with between major league baseball and the minor league players, which is very historic because that's something that has never been true you can say how long do the minor leagues exist? And I, I would say like, I, when I say organized minor leagues, you go back to basically the start of the 20th century. There were minor leagues before that, but you get to like 1901, 02, 03, and they really began to organize. And it wasn't just, you have a league here, a league there. So in the 125 or so years, almost 125 years of minor league baseball, the way that we know it now for until this year, all the working conditions for minor league players were determined by others, by Major League Baseball, by Minor League Baseball, without input from those players. That has changed. I'm going to talk about this a good bit, Jeff, but what I did want to ask you what your thoughts are. Like, I mean, on just 
the significance of of what happened late last night. Yeah, I think it it met a lot of sort of the requests that a lot of us, to put it nicely, have made in the media over the last couple of years, especially those of us that cover minor league baseball. You know, we're aware of the conditions and certainly the the pay for people who were committing a ton of time to this. Um, I think the 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 improvement in terms of salary uh, makes a big difference. You know, most of these guys, I mean, the numbers are still not incredibly great, but you can consider it's, you know, however many months of work, fine. Um, you know, people were making under minimum wage. And I thought the fact that there's a reasonable amount of money that's going to lower level players, whether it's the complex or the A-ball levels, and then you know, I think it was 35000 for for triple A. It's reasonable, especially when you consider bonuses, some of those other things. It's like, okay, fine. Like this is finally meeting um, you know, some of those standards that I think we just expect with any job in America that's <laughs> a full-time job, um, particularly one of some prestige where you had to put in a lot of work to get there in the first place. Uh, so I think that's a big upgrade, especially when you consider, you know, a lot of these guys have to feed themselves, et cetera. Um, and unfortunately, it's it's sort of led to some proprietor or excuse me, um, um, some, you know, sort of shark tactics by some outside organizations in terms of providing money to some of these players because they were so desperate and needed it. Uh, I think that's a big upgrade. You know, just looking over it last night, I had just gotten off a plane when the news broke. I know there's some other elements of it that you can sort of break down. Um, but, you know, the, the pay upgrade, I, I think, is is certainly the, the biggest uh, improvement here and something that's in the big picture a very good thing. And I think, you know, it was a point that you had made, and I thought it was excellent last night on Twitter. But if, if you had been a, a, a player who played in the minors and then the majors between like 2000 and 2018, you saw very little movement and improvement in these areas. But if you were someone who had been drafted in 2019 to now, you've seen pretty drastic changes in terms of pay, facilities, et cetera, along the minor leagues. So uh, it's great to see this progressing. You know, I think that it's another sign that that other than the spending this offseason, et cetera, baseball's in a pretty healthy place. Um, something that I don't think we would have said uh, with such certainty three or four years back. It's it's a good thing to see. It's a good development. And, you know, I'm certainly happy for these guys that we cover. The, the thing that stands out to me about this, and I know I did see a lot of like, oh, this isn't nearly enough, all that. Um, a, a couple of things. It's the first collective bargaining agreement. This is between two parties. There's some give and take and all that. But the other part of this is, is you touched on, I do feel like that on the fan who thinks that these players are utterly mistreated standpoint, there is often a, a, uh, a, a willingness or whatever to ignore the bonus portion of this, which is if you wanted to have a truly equitable system of distribution of money in the minor leagues, well, you look at there's $200 million in bonuses handed out every year to minor league, to players who are headed to the minor leagues between the draft and international. Now, if you divide that by the number of players, you could basically say, okay, that's going to be 40 K per player every year. Now it is not an equitable distribution. And I don't think it should be. I mean, I, I do think that there is a reason if you are a top draft pick, you are still 
getting less than your market value in the draft. You may sign for an $8 million bonus, but we know that I can tell you right now, speaking of this year's draft, if the draft was eliminated tomorrow, Dylan Cruz would make more than $8 million if all teams were free to bid for a, for Dylan Cruz. Sure, absolutely. Paul Skeens is making more than $8 million. Now, but again, that money is not distributed in any way equitably, and you need to make sure that the players who sign for $1,000, sign for no signing bonus, also have working conditions. The, the player who signs for $8 million if their salary is not that great for the next few years, it's not that big a deal. They have $8 million. The player who signed for $1,000, it's a very big deal. Those conditions have absolutely dramatically improved. Like you said, if you signed in 2019, when you signed, you could go head off that first year and make less than $3,000 to play in the complex league over the course of the entire season, not get paid at all during the offseason, not get paid during extended spring, Housing in the complexes is handled, but as soon as you went to low A, you would not necessarily have housing covered. You would have to pay effect for your own food, partly through clubhouse dues, which would eat up most of your per diem on the road as well. It was all of these things were, and by the way, when it comes to housing, if you got sent to low A this month, high A next month, back to low A next month, high A like bounced around you are still sure. responsible for finding your housing for breaking leases, all that. And if you look at now where we are in 2023, housing is now covered in season for all minor league players. If you are a triple a low a complex league housing is covered. And by the way, in this CBA, if you are a, if you are a player with a family, you have options. Now you are guaranteed your own room at the higher levels and you are allowed to opt out of the provided housing and get a stipend instead if you need to begin because you have a family food is now provided health insurance is now you know is is part of this year round um and on top of that there also is a provision here there is a difference between if you sign going forward if you sign as a 19 year old or older you have six years till you reach minor league free agency mm -hmm. rather than seven which is significant all these things I can get, I can understand where people say, oh, you know, I wish that they got more. Okay. That is a fair and valid opinion for you to have. But as I talk to players, if I talk to people involved in this, that's kind of not where they are, where they are is, is wow. Look at where this is compared to just five years ago in a mm -hmm. five year span minor league players have gotten more and gotten their working condition changes improvements. I should not just change it, but improvements in the last five years are more, I would say than you saw in the previous 50 years. And that yeah. is historic and that is significant. And it is worth noting. They did give something too, which is going in 2024 and beyond MLB has the right to cut the, in-season reserve list from 180 domestic U.S. players, DSL is, is separate, 180 to 165. So that is the potential to cut 15 jobs per team. That's 450 jobs. And 
I got a lot of feedback last night. Well, that's 450 dreams denied and all that. And that is true. But I will point out, there is a very big difference between in 2020 when Major League Baseball said, poof, 100, you know, that is 40 teams gone. And minor league players, you have no recourse. That is a vastly different system than a collective bargaining agreement where the players negotiating themselves say the roughly, and again, I'm this is just an estimate, but the roughly $2.7 million per organization increases in salaries is worth trading off 15 positions. That's mm-hmm. a collective bargaining agreement. That's give and take on both sides. And that's the players. Again, they make that decision. That's a very, they're, they're part of that decision. That's the, to me, uh, talking to Garrett Brocious, who's been instrumental in this. And I've known Garrett, you know, who Garrett was writing a prospect diary for us back when he still was a player and then wrote about this at Baseball America on his way to becoming a lawyer. Uh, talking to him about this, like, the, the quote he said that I thought was very important is he said, the genie's out of the bottle here. And what he meant by that is, is that when you talk about like, okay, there's been a lot of talk and a lot of fear over the years that Major League Baseball is going to want to further reduce the minor leagues. Well, they're not going to be able to unilaterally do that going forward. If they wanted to say reduce from 120 to 90 teams, the only way they can do so is by collectively bargaining that with the minor league players. That's an entirely different world. That's an entirely different paradigm than what we were just a few, couple of years ago or a year ago, really. That's going to be significant. And this is the segue as we go into the part, talk prospects about this, Jeff, you know, and what you saw. I remember going to minor league covering minor leagues in the nineties and the, the disparity between what the major leagues were just eating, for example, where they had a a nice, healthy catered meal and the minor league park side of the spring training where I'm not making this up, where I literally saw loaves of wonder bread and not separate peanut butter and jelly, but the goober grape where you mixed the peanut butter and the jelly in the giant Sam tub. That was their lunch on the minor league side to see where we've gone from that to now to see again, just even living conditions. Like they, what is now expected even on the minor league side is a very dramatic change. And that leads into Jeff, you just got back from a week on the East coast of Florida. You, you saw the, the East coast of spring training, the backfields. Mm-hmm. And I'll start with the open-ended question, which is, if you said, what is the overarching thing that you came away with? Is there anything in particular that stood out to you? Hey, you know, man, again, besides the fact that I'm guessing that you had a very enjoyable time because you, like I do, love roaming the backfields. But anything in particular jump out this year as opposed to, to normal? Yeah, I think the East Coast in general, um, the talent level was up quite a bit. Uh, if you just simply look at the Nationals top 30 list versus the Nationals this year versus the Nationals top 30 list yet last year, based on a few trades that they've made, some draft picks, um, that was a far more interesting group than you had seen a year prior. And 
for that, I mean, I, I felt like that, that was a huge upgrade. Uh, the Astros obviously had a full draft for the first time in a few years. They had some progress on players they had drafted in previous years. Um, so that was far more interesting. The Mets added quite a few players in the draft this year that were, you know, good. And we've seen some progress with their international players as well. Um, you know, we know the Marlins have some guys and then certainly the Cardinals. So I thought the overall talent that was in the games, the amount of players that you could watch in any given level, you know, cause you'll have sometimes if it's like the Marlins and the Cardinals, they'll use one single complex and there's four games going on simultaneously. Most of the time it's, it's two. You either get your high, you know, your, your, your high minors guys, your double a game, your triple a game, or you get your low a high a game. Um, there was really not a lot of reason to go to the, the upper level games, frankly, because the lower level games was where a lot of the talent was. So, I thought this year in comparison to my first year last year, which was a great experience, but there was a lot more going on. It was, you know, every day I saw somebody who was a true prospect. Um, so that, that in and of itself was, you know, really interesting. And I don't even think I saw everybody, you know, I didn't see Jake Eater. I didn't see uh, with the Marlins. I didn't see, you know, Pete Hansen, um, you know, with, with the Cardinals and, and some of their other guys. But overall, it was just, you know, a, a ton of talent out there. The Nationals camp was was pretty stacked and worth watching. Um, you know, the Astros had some players as well. So I just think the upgrade in talent, um, and I think maybe some of that might have been just the condensing of teams and players as well, frankly, was pretty good to see. So, you know, that was that was really, really enjoyable. It it is it is something where the other thing that stands out, like the Nationals are a perfect example of this, is that teams can at the minor league level, you can go, you can transform in a pretty short period of time. Like the Nationals, I feel like probably are the the preeminent example of this maybe this year. In that, if you again, like when you were at Nats camp last year, that was slim pickings. I uh, you know yeah. that was. Okay, uh, there's someone to watch in this game, but like Brady House. It was pretty much Brady House. <laughs> and now, now you can have a, a kind of a buffet of options of oh, who do I want to watch in in today's game? Because obviously, I, I will say if you if you trade Juan Soto, um, one would hope that your farm system does improve, and they are in the oh, we get high picks, you know, portion of their rebuild as well, but. Let, starting with them, do you feel like though, like uh, on top of that, like are you seeing players who are getting better? Because that's also a key component of this. Like Brady House is a perfect example, maybe to start with here, which is is that Brady House had a very disappointing year last year, but obviously he was also injured, and so that adds kind of a uh, a complicating factor to uh, any evaluation of Brady House's. 2022 season what did you see from brady seeing him again seeing him last year and now seeing him again this year yeah and he had a good start to the season last year but um i thought overall um the body was better he was moving better um they've moved him over to third base full time he still doesn't have a great first step out there defensively the hands are fine the arm's going to make up for um a, a, a lot of maybe deficiencies in terms of like how he'll necessarily position himself. So a lot of infield. So I saw a lot of that. 
he was running a lot more than I saw last year. Um, the at-bats were, you know, he tended to work pretty deep into counts. And then the last couple of days I saw him, he started to hit the ball really hard and hit the ball hard to his pull side, which is always a good thing to see. Um, you know, it, it means that he's, you know, not only, not only hitting, you know, breakers the other way or whatever, but, um, he's ambushing fastballs and doing the stuff that he needs to do to do damage because it's the kind of player that he is. Um, I think the last game I saw him, he homered, he had a single, he just missed a homer to the opposite field by about a foot. And then the next, the next pitch got hit, <laughs> but then he got on and he's still second, uh, and came around, came around to score, um, on a, uh, a Max Ramiro Jr. Um, homer. I thought that the draftees were a lot better for the Nationals this year. It wasn't just him. Trey Limscomb looked from Tennessee, looked really, really good. Um, homered in games. Um, he was a guy that, you know, it seemed like he had two or three hits every time I watched him, was solid in the field, runs pretty well. He's kind of an interesting sleeper. Uh, TJ White had some great performances. Um, I think he homered three or four times while I was down there, rubbed some doubles as well. He's a switch hitter, so he actually homered from both sides of the plate. Uh, I think he homered three consecutive days. Um, they moved him over to first base, which I think is probably the right position for him. <clears throat> One question there is really just, you know, uh, he really does a lot of damage on fastballs. So we'll see if he can hit other types of pitches. But that that was good to see. Um you know, I saw Jake Bennett as well. I saw uh, Harlan Susana, um, who was up to 102 on my gun. And usually my gun is a little bit slower than the Trackman. So that's uh, that's a 102 that I trust. It might have been, I think the two guys that have hit 102 are Harlan Susana and Mason Miller during the fall league. And I've had that gun for about three years now. And, you know, I, I go to plenty of games. So um, that shows you how much of an outlier he is in terms of velocity. There's a lot of clay to work with there. They can develop this guy. He could be really, really interesting. So um, it was a good overall group. I saw James Wood. Uh, he walked a lot for me. <laughs> you know, like it seemed like every time I walked away, I would have a scout then text me and say, hey, you walked over to the Astros side of things. And James Wood immediately roped a double to the wall. I was like, well, of course. Like I, I'm I'm a cooler apparently on James Wood. So I should stay away from him if you want James Wood to be productive. But uh but that, you know, I think overall there was a lot of talent there. Elijah Green as well. Um, just seeing all of these really talented players was a huge departure from last year where it was Brady House and Dalen Lyle and really not a whole lot. So that's, you know, again, we're going to go through a couple of these teams. There are one of the most fascinating teams to be the Nationals. We're going to come back to them at the end of this podcast as well. But I do want to jump into the Astros next because as you mentioned, the Astros are also a team that has gone through a pretty significant transformation because they now have draft picks at the top of the draft again, which sure. is the first time in a very long while. And we're going to do that right after this quick break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. 
What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, Jeff, so speaking of, we said before the break about the Astros. The Astros are obviously sitting on the top of the world in many ways but at the farm system level um you know it, it's been a, a a pretty it's been a thinner time because understandably because they have been dealing with the penalties of uh basically that come from uh you know from from trash can gate spy gate whatever you want to call it and for several years but what are you seeing they've now had you know they they, they once again have first round picks what what are you seeing? What did you what stood out to you from Astros? Yeah, I think the overall talent was good, and this is a system. And I've said this before, even to folks in private conversations over the last couple of days. This is a system where you see players year over year, and you see the improvement. Um, you see the improvement for players that they drafted, and then come out of the draft. You're like, all right, that guy wasn't doing that before. Like Andrew Taylor, for example who was their second round sandwich pick at, at, at pick 80 um, out of uh, central Michigan, uh, go chips. And uh, he was a guy that I saw in the Cape. So that's the other thing is that, you know, I love the Cape looks and contrasting comparing these. Cause it's usually, you know, a year and a half between spring and then their, their draft summer. Um, Taylor always had rod in the fastball. The secondaries were kind of iffy and the velocity wasn't great. It was like 90 to 91 with a lot of ride. He was three to four, touched some fives. Um, the trackman had him up to six, you know. Uh, the IVBs were outstanding, like top of the scale in terms of vertical break. You know, he was 20 inches sometimes above um, in terms of in ter- terms of induced vertical breaks or a little ride on that fastball. They had been working with him on his secondaries. Um, I got a flashes plus on the changeup from, from a scout. Uh, from an opposing team, which is, you know, something that you typically trust because they're going to be critical of these guys. I thought the breaking balls were much improved from what I had seen in the Cape. Um, Showing a a sweepy slider with at least 13 inches of of sweep. Um, Showing a a two-plane breaker, you know, in terms of, you know, heavy heavy downward action, but but also horizontal break on that as well. Both of those pitches were in the low 80s. That's a really good combination. If you have a guy who's, you know, able to ride that up, um, 
Forrest Whitley was back there, and Forrest Whitley's kind of remade his arsenal a little bit. I know this is one of those guys everyone wants to write off. I'm kind of in on Forrest Whitley. The velocity was there. He was throwing the sinker, working in the four seam when he needed it. He's got a new sweeper that was, like, nasty. I mean, it was 14, 15-plus inches of horizontal break, a little bit of drop on it at 85. That's a pretty outlier slider. Um, and he still shows a few different, you know, he shows a cutter. Um, like I said, he's got the two fastball shapes. He'll work in a change up here and there. I, I, I think he's somebody that could contribute in some sh- way, shape or form for the Astros. Didn't get hit. Starter or reliever? It might be a reliever. I think the command's kind of iffy. Uh, and it's also the Astros who have like six starters now. Um, but this also could be a guy that, you know, if they need reinforcements, he could get traded and you know if he pitches well in the minor league season early on somebody might make a move for that he's a 40-man guy um so it's sort of where the rubber needs to meet the road this season I think he's going to be in the major leagues this season and could even exceed rookie eligibility um the numbers were good enough we'll see where he ends up whether that is with the Astros or someone else they do have sort of a plethora of arms um but yeah, he's an interesting player, somebody that I wouldn't totally write off at this point. You know, and and the other part is, is like, you know, with the, the full draft class, I didn't see Melton this time. They were kind of holding him back. I did see him in major league games when I was down here the first time. I saw Michael Knorr. I saw Trey Dombrowski. Um, I saw AJ Bluebaugh, whose stuff was up a little bit. Um, Zach Cole, an outfielder from Ball State, who's kind of interesting. Uh, I saw Ryan Clifford, who, you know, uh, Left-handed bat, power bat, um, out of your neck of the woods, high school kid in last year's draft. He was pretty good. Uh, Zach DiZenzo um, from Ohio State was hitting the ball hard. And then Jackson Lofton, who was not a guy I was terribly familiar with, a shortstop from Oral Roberts. They had him in the infield. He was smoking balls. I mean, I think he hit two homers, two or three doubles. I believe I heard from um, one of their internal folks that in terms of the minor league backfield games he had the most balls hit above 100 miles per hour um for anybody in the astros backfield so thought that was really interesting um overall it was a good group and then we haven't even gotten into drew gilbert yet their first round pick who i i i i'm gonna make a call now i think this guy is gonna be in the top 100 by the end of the season i have little question about that you could even make an argument that he was the best player that i saw in the backfields wow Wow. That's, that's, uh, that's very significant. Um, so, okay. So that's the Astros. You also saw, what about the Mets? Like that is a, that's an organization. The backfields is probably not where the, the most exciting part of the Mets, uh, farm system is right. You know, was during spring training because the best of their prospects are guys who, who were in big league camp, until at least very, very late in big league camp. Francisco Alvarez, obviously not on the big league club. Brett Beatty, even probably more significantly, more famously not, you know, is not being given the job. You know, it is not being, is not their third baseman of opening day. Whether he becomes their third baseman in the near future is still open to be uh, determined. But, but on the backfield for the Mets was, what would you put as the state of the system for, uh, for Mets fans? Yeah, I think it's another system that's in the come up. Um, you know, I saw those, those. you know, uh, I saw Beatty and 
Um, I saw Alvarez in the major league games, my first trip down there. Uh, I saw Parada this time. I thought from what I had seen in the Cape, which is probably the worst version of Kevin Parada, he was hitting the ball better. The at-bats were better. He was better behind the plate. He's still not tremendous back there. Did get a one nine seven on a pop time on a, on a throw, which was decent to see. All my pop times prior to that were over two seconds on the Cape. So that, that was a pretty big upgrade. I thought Jacob Reamer, um, who was another high school kid out of uh, Ucapia in Ucapia. No, no, Ucapia. I, I say this. I say this. Someone who's I spent right. two years. <laughs> I lived on the border between Ucapia and Redlands in California. Okay. I would, I would, I, I lived, I didn't live in Ucapia, but I was within, I could almost throw a stone and hit Ucapia from my house. Well, I'm so glad you <laughs> He looked really good. And that's a historic high school program. I think Taiwan Walker and a couple other yeah. guys that you're familiar with came out of there. Um, by the way, my, my grandfather always pronounced it the same way. You know, he 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 would go, he would almost made it a bit like Yukapa, Yukapa, you could so yes, you you're you're in good. My late grandfather uh tips his cap. Yeah, awesome. Good. Me and me and grandpa Cooper. Um, but but Raymer was was really good. The I heard from scouts the body was improved from what they had seen in, in, in high school. Um he hit the ball hard consistently. Kind of an interesting name there, a guy that they signed in the fourth round over slot. I think it was uh, maybe three quarters of a million dollars that they signed him for. Um, he's really interesting. Parada looked great. I'll say this. Alex Ramirez looks like a guy. Alex Ramirez looks like a shooting, like, like, like a shooting guard, small forward, like a swing man. Like he's like six foot four, <laughs> six foot five. The shoulders, you know, he added muscle and strength. He's still pretty thin. Um, but it's like a wiry strength now, as opposed to a guy who kind of struggled to elevate the ball. When I saw him on, on Tuesday, he hit everything. And he, I, I posted it on Twitter. He hit an absolute like bomb. I mean, just smoked the ball. The bats were better. He was chasing less. Uh, this was in the high a game and he was the best player on those backfields that day. Um, so he was a really interesting take. Uh, a player that, you know, if I was a Mets fan, I'd be pretty excited about what he can progress into. Um, but yeah, there was some significant growth there. I think he had three hits in that game and everything was hit pretty hard. He had a variety of different pitches, worked deep into counts. Um, you know, it wasn't overly aggressive. It wasn't like he was just ambushing fastballs. Uh, it's loose and it's easy and free. And, and yeah, he's, he's a guy for sure that I would be extremely interested in. Um, didn't have an opportunity to see Blade Tidwell, unfortunately. Um, hopefully, I see him a little bit later. But you know, in terms of the, and then J Jet Williams wasn't in a ton of games. But uh, in terms of those big bats, you know, those guys were interesting and players that you know I, I definitely would keep an eye out for. So just keeping going down the road. So so we saw you saw Mets, you saw Astros, you saw Nationals, but you also saw Cardinals. And the Cardinals farm system is one that I know you have a, a couple of players. I, I promise you, podcast listener, there is no possible way that you're not going to hear the word jerpy in, in the next. Uh, I, 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 if the secret word of today is jerpy, I can promise you that Jeff's not capable of not mentioning it because he does uh, truly believe in Cooper jerpy. But uh, 
but Jeff, so Cardinals camp, what was your overall like impression of, of seeing the Cardinals this year? And again, this is a system that you write the, the top sure. 30 for us that you, you know, obviously again, if you're a Cardinals fan, you probably start with, Hey, Jordan Walker's really good. Jordan Walker's on the opening day roster, which is very important. But again, we're talking backfields. So yeah. what, what's your state of, the, state of the system? Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the hitting talent wasn't quite what it was a year before. I mean, that's going to happen when you have Mason win with the major league team all throughout camp, you got Jordan Walker breaking camp. Um, you know, Victor Scott was kind of, was in a couple of games, but most of the time he's been with the major league team who was, I think a fifth rounder out of uh, West Virginia, who's kind of an interesting one, but the arms, you know, I think there were, there were a ton of arms there that were worth watching. Um, you know, we'll talk about Jerpy now. So Jerpy went toe to toe in a, uh, in an inter-squad scrimmage. Um, I think that was last Thursday morning. So it was the second, second day that I was there um, in terms of the backfields and, you know, the velocity wasn't up. Um, there were some reports that he hit 93. I think I missed one of the innings because I, I shot over to the Nationals and, and Astros games to get those those guys, uh, get looks at those guys because this was a morning morning one. And he went four innings. I think he ended up going five. Um, went toe-to-toe with Gordon Graceffo, um, this guy that's been kind of on and off our top 100 list. And he outpitched Graceffo. Graceffo was throwing harder. Graceffo was getting hit. Um Jerpy wasn't. Jerpy gave up one home run, and it was an absolutely wind-aided 91 exit velocity homer <laughs> that th- that ball would not have left um, most parks. And the wind was blowing out pretty significantly. But prior to that, I mean, he was getting swings and misses on the fastball. He was getting swings and misses on the slider. He was backdooring the slider, front-footing it when he needed to. Um, and the changeup was really good. And I think the thing that stuck with me is just seeing it live, which is something that I've always thought is you want to talk about tunneling. It is incredibly difficult to identify which pitch is coming out of that arm slot. Cause everything kind of sweeps. And then it's a matter of, does it keep sweeping? Does it downshift and it's the changeup? Um, or can he ride the fastball up on you? And he can do all three. The pitch ability there is tremendous. Um, this is a guy that if you look at the body, it's pretty clear to see he's going to add 15 to 20 pounds of muscle, good weight in the coming years. And if he's a guy who's consistently low nineties, it's going to work. Um, and that's really across the, the entire arsenal. Um, there's a high level of pitchability there. It's a reason that this guy went in the first round. I know some people were freaking out because I had 88 to 90 listed. And it was mostly the 8990. But it's one of those things that, like, if you were just eyeing it and looking at the hitter's reactions, you put the gun down for a second. Just look at the hitter's reactions. And then somebody told you to guess velocity, and they told you, hey, the other guy he's facing is throwing 92 to 94, touching 96. You would have been like, he's 93 to 95. Like, just because of what the hitter's reactions were, how far behind they were in the pitch. And I think it's because of the movement on those pitches and the way that everything tunnels out of that arm slot that you as a hitter have to make a decision as to like what pitch you think is coming in. Cause it's really difficult to identify that out of the hand. And when you do sort of figure out what it is, it's almost too late because of the late movement on the change up and the slider. Um, so he was really interesting, you know, Graceffo, 
um, was Gordon Graceffo. You know, he was throwing a lot of strikes. When he got kind of angry, he was up to like 96. Um, so the velocity was down a little bit from what I saw last year. Um, you know, throwing a hard slider, change up curveball, was throwing him for strikes. He just was the, it was control over command. He was kind of, you know, center cutting a lot of that stuff. The location wasn't great. I think that's one of the reasons that he was getting hit quite a bit in those games. Um, but, you know, those two arms were really exciting. I thought Josh Baez looked, looked better. Um, and then there, here's when you a say sleep- better. When you say better, hold on. I want to ask a little bit sure. about Josh because you, you did post video of him. Okay. What does better mean? Because again, Josh, going back to when he was drafted, it's all been about there's upside and there's risk. Sure. Where are we on the upside risk uh, continuum with Josh Baez right now? Still risky? Um, <laughs> it's still risky. You know, uh, I thought the body was better. Tremor. I know that he's, he, he dealt with some health stuff even early in camp last year. Um, it was overcoming some injuries, I think in the off season. So in terms of the frame, um, you know, he was looked strong, certainly not overweight at all. Um, so I'm laying back on some breaking balls and just like waiting to do damage, not trying to just ambush everything, waiting for his pitch. I saw quite a few walks, um, you know, which are all good signs. If he's not chasing, he's making good swing decisions and he's letting that power eat. That's the kind of player that you want from, from Baez move fine in the field. You know, I think he's, he's a corner guy. We always thought that got the arm to make up for it. If he ends up in left field, fine. It's really just a matter of how hard is he going to hit the ball? Um, he's doing that and he's not trying to do too much. So I thought that was a, that was a good look. I got a few looks on him and then I'll, I'll throw one sleeper out there. Cardinals 13th rounder or a Dallas Baptist. He's definitely a reliever, um, but Chandler Arnold right-hander with huge over the, over the top slot, kind of athletic. It's a low nineties fastball mixing a change up slider and curveball. That was a really interesting look. He came in to close out one game and, or excuse me, late in one game. And that stuff was legit, you know, um, riding the fastball, mm-hmm. sort of that late hop. Um, you had a lot of guys just taking ugly swings at it. When they did make contact, it was a lot of ground balls. Um, I thought Arnold is, you know, for a 13th rounder that they didn't pay a ton of money for, he's a pretty interesting arm, probably ends up in relief. Um, could be a guy that adds some velocity as well in the coming years. I thought he was pretty interesting. Um, Andrew Marrero, who was a late rounder in 2021 out of UConn. Uh, I saw him on the Cape a couple of years ago. He had been billed as having the best breaking ball in the system. And that's legit. I mean, I think he throws like 60%, uh, you know, curveball slider, whatever you want to call that breaker, power breakers. Um, it looked really good. Uh, he was a guy that, you know, I, I was kind of interested in if, if the command is there. He's another guy that could probably end up as, as a really interesting bullpen weapon um, for the Cardinals. So the arms were definitely there. I saw McGreevy. Um, didn't look great. Uh, he was using a sinker more than a four seamer, which I think is probably a good development for him. Um, you know, it's just a matter. I don't think he had his command the day that I saw him, but it was still interesting. And, uh, there's still more arms, you know, that's a, that's a team where, um, you know, uh, they continually seem to get more out of players. So I didn't have a chance to see Bryson Mott's throw, um, so missed that. Uh, I heard Max Ratchik was, was up to 97. So Cade Winquest yesterday, 
Um, he was sitting threes and fours, um, showing a, a changeup in a in a in a in a, a, a power uh, curveball. He was pretty interesting. And then their hitters, you know, Jimmy Cooks, uh, who's a catcher out of Oklahoma, he catches really well. He can hit. He's a guy that I think could, you know, end up, you know, maybe being a backup catcher one of these days. Victor Scott, though, um, he's really interesting. There's power there. There's on base ability. Uh, he plays, I think, a plus center field, can get to a lot of stuff. The arm's pretty good. Uh, and you can just, you don't have to go much further than asking our own Peter Flaherty about him because he played for him at Katuit last year. And I, I saw improvements from Scott as well. Uh, and that's why, why he was getting into major league games, even late in camp. He was getting into four or five major league games, and that's that's pretty good for for a fifth rounder. The year, you know, the year after his draft, you know, entering his first full season, I think they have high hopes for him. Um, so overall, it was it was a good group. I think it's skewing a little bit more to the pitching, and if you look at my rankings, that's that's kind of what the rankings are. I think they rank. I think they ranked like nineteen pitchers or something in that top thirty. Um, so there was a there was reason for that. And and there's also like when you look at how they've drafted, like okay, if you look at last year, they went lefty, 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 catcher, outfielder, right fielder, outfielder, right hander, right hander, right hander. If you look in 21, they were also pretty pitching heavy in the draft. So because of that, it's not surprising that the especially they do have the the best bats they have are guys who are in big league camp because Jordan Walker made the opening day roster, Alec Burleson's kind of you know is a upper level bat mason yep. win very impressive uh not not going to make the team out of opening on opening day but at the same time heads to the minors having shown a nice taste of what he could be uh with the big league team as well so it's not like this is a system bereft of bats but it is one where they've got some upper level bats and then it's a whole lot of arms uh you know at the lower levels but yeah yeah and and when you know and showed well in the major league games when I saw him um, earlier and, you know, earlier in the camp and he was there to the end and he's assigned to triple a. So he's only a shot away from joining his buddy, Jordan Walker. Um, you know, I saw a little bit of Ivan Herrera. He was mostly in major league games. Um, Jonathan Mejia. I saw once um, I saw Leo Bernal uh, standout catcher. I liked him last year in the backfields. He was good again. And the first day I was there, uh, our buddy Moises Gomez uh, hit two homers in the triple a game. Um, so that was kind of interesting. And then like, you know, Mike Antico is kind of a, a lower level sleeper. Um, yeah. So, you know, the art, there's a lot of arms there. Um, and the guys that were supposed to hit have. So, uh, I even saw a, uh, a Trajan Fletcher, uh, a Trey Fletcher sighting yesterday. Hey. He had a hard double. So by, <laughs> by the way, Trey Fletcher, you know, still has to be young. Like I'd seen, you know, but he signed so young. That's like, it's, it's, it's easy to forget. Like, Oh, he's still, you know, feels like it was years yeah, ago, like, but it's not. Yeah. Look better than last so, year. I'll say that. So I, I to, to wrap this up, I do want to bring it back to the Nats because uh, I want to talk a little about James Wood. As you said, you were the James Wood cooler when you were down there, James Wood was, you know, doing <laughs> great things as long as you were not looking at him, but if I and I think I might write this for next week for uh, for minor league opening day uh, for the lower levels. If I was to pick among the if the, the most fascinating players in the minors, James Wood would be very high on that list uh, for me because 
of just the potential he has, the strides he's already made. Mm-hmm. But I think on top of that, I, I do feel like you you see a guy that big, that long, and you think, oh, it's going to be power, but probably with a whole lot of swing and miss, grip and rip, you know, okay, let's just see, you know, if he runs into one. Think O'Neill Cruz, if you wanted to, as an example, right? And that's, to me, what stands out is, is that's not what James Wood is. James Woods is is a hitter. There is an approach. There is kind of, there, there's athleticism, but there's also a chance for him to be a pretty well-rounded player as well. I, I want to get what you thought. Like, you know, again, he obviously ranks very high for us on our top hundred. We, we're, we, we are very high on James Woods, but what are your thoughts on, on kind of where he goes and what he could be? Yeah, he's a standout athlete. Um, you know, that's one of the first things that's, that sort of jumps off to you. It's like, how is this guy not playing basketball? Cause he looks like a power forward. Um, you know, he's, he's, oh, he's a wing now. Let's be honest at, at this, at this time with the NBA, you know, there are six, 10 wings. He's a wing. He's not a power yeah. forward. Um, but you know, he's, uh, he's long, you know, he's not, he's not as thick as you would have thought, uh, based on what the power numbers are. So there's still more power to probably project there, which is scary. He runs really well. That was probably one of the most shocking things. He consistently stole bases once he got on and, you know, it wasn't like he was just getting there on bad throws, good jumps. Um, I think there's ability to steal bases. He works really deep in accounts. You're not going to get him chasing on anything. Um, you know, there's great approach there. Um, there's some swing and miss, uh, but, you know, he takes aggressive hacks, um, swings, you know, on pitches in the zone. That will happen from time to time. Um, but when he does make contact, he makes very hard contact. Was playing in center field, looked good out there, made a couple of good catches, arms fine. Um but I think it's just the cool, calm, collected manner of James Wood sort of does well for him. That doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low, just kind of stays very even keeled and just stays within his approach. Um, listens to coaching, you know, all that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's 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 a he's an unusual player. Just there, you don't see many guys that are that big and strong and athletic that have that level of approach and understanding of the strike zone and what he's trying to do from at bat to at bat. I, when you talked about his, you know, his ability to run, the other thing that did stand out to me watching him last year, once he gets going, he gobbles up acres uh, uh, of distance very quickly in the outfield because, you know, again, you, it is the old adage of he's a guy who's going to be faster first to home than he is home to first because it takes a little while to get going. Although he is actually pretty sudden, I would say for a guy that height, that, you know, that yeah. length, but, but you look him in the outfield, he gets on, gets going. And it's just like, he just, he covers a lot of ground out there, which is also impressive. And we bring all this up because at, to end this podcast, we have an interview I did with James Wood a little while ago, but at string training, we did a uh, an online interview, and we wanted to share that as part of the podcast. So we have a special guest this week on the Baseball America Prospect Pod. Now we are joined by James Wood. Hey, everybody. J.J. Cooper here on the Baseball America Podcast. Very excited to be joined by Nationals outfield prospect James Wood. James, 
your first spring training uh, with the Nationals, your no, not your first spring training, but your first spring training with the Nationals. Sure. Welcome, thank you for joining us. But just kind of wanted to ask, you know, how is it different spring training in Florida? You're back in Florida, where you obviously were at IMG as well. But it, how's spring training different? How is it the same going through uh, uh, another spring training? No, thanks. Thanks for having me, JJ. But um, I mean, I, I'd say probably right off the bat, you probably feel it right when you get off the plane. The humidity here is a little different than Arizona, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, no, other than that, I mean, the facility here has been great. I, I'm I've been getting to know, getting used to a lot of a lot of coaches, getting to know a lot of my teammates pretty well. So it's been a lot of fun, sort of just sort of just getting ready for the year down here, you know. Does it feel a little different like you did? You got traded, obviously, last year. You, not just you, but a, a couple of uh, guys you probably, you know, knew with the, the Padres as well became nationals. But mm -hmm. is it nice to kind of, this is kind of the first year where from day one, these teammates are are your teammates. You're, you're, you're not kind of the new guy stepping yeah. in, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely been nice. You know, a lot of, a lot of the guys I've played with, especially in, in Fredericksburg, a lot of them are down here, obviously. So kind of just kicking it with them, you know, just talking with them, talking baseball, all that stuff. It's, it's been a lot of fun. It, it obviously last year started out uh, roughly, you had a wrist injury, but once you got back on the field, it, it feels like that, it seems like from afar that, that everything went uh, about as well as you could have hoped. What did you feel about your first full pro season what did you like about it what do you want to to, to do better in in 2023 yeah I think I learned a lot about myself especially like just hitting wise and my body and all that stuff and obviously I, I missed a lot more games and I, I kind of wish I I wish I could have but you know just hoping I could just be out there be stay healthy this year just kind of kind of have a good year this year too you know so we're in kind of the, the golden age of, of tall baseball players in some ways. Obviously, Aaron Judge, you know, is not just doing what he did, but doing it and playing a lot of center field, which mm -hmm. uh, I want to note because obviously you're his height and you're a center fielder. Mm -hmm. But we've got O'Neill Cruz showing yeah. that a, a six foot six, six, six foot seven guy can play shortstop. We got Ellie De La Cruz, who's probably six foot six. Like there's, there's long been thought, like, oh, the big tall guys, they can be power hitters but can they do the other things you're obviously a, a pretty well-rounded player mm -hmm. at six foot seven do you feel like being six foot seven is it an advantage is it a disadvantage or is it just well that's what it is and so you know i, I just go and go do it i don't know i i, I kind of feel like it sort of just is what it is and i, I kind of go about it how how i do but I mean, I think there's obviously some advantages and disadvantages with it, but I feel like it's kind of just learning those as we go along and kind of learning how to work around the disadvantages and utilize the advantages. That's one of the things that stands out watching watching your at-bats for you. Um, one of the things, obviously, you often hear with, with tall players is, oh, they've got long levers. They're going to have trouble – Cover, they're going to have holes because they're just their, their arms are longer. So it's going to be a. When I watch you at the plate, the thing that stands out is, is I feel like you're using it to your advantage. Like you've got a stance, you're a little open, you kind of are set up in a way that a pitcher knows if he comes inside, 
you're you're positioned in a way that you can do damage there. Mm-hmm. But I see a lot of pitchers, I feel like, try to go away from you. And I feel like when you're locked in, it seems like you're really comfortable taking that ball to the uh, to the opposite field gap, taking that ball down the line the other way. Like you've got enough, I mean, take me through kind of your mindset. What are pitchers trying to do with you and, and, and what are you, you know, comfortable doing in return? Um, yeah, I feel like it's, it's always kind of like a cat and mouse game. So I'm, I, I think I'm, I'm a pretty patient hitter. So a lot of times pitchers will try and like dance around you and like all that kind of stuff. So my, my thing is I kind of just let them do that and sort of just force them back in the zone. And that, that's where you're able to do damage there. One other thing that stands out with that is, is when right-handers try to come in on you, it's hard for a right-handed pitcher to mm-hmm. locate glove side. Yeah, in. three times. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. I mean, it's it's three times, and you clearly one of the things that also stood out watching at bats was is how you basically feel very comfortable. Like, okay, if if they're not in the zone, okay. You know, mm-hmm. one, take take your base also, right? Yeah. But with with that opposite field approach, like, is that about trusting your hands? Is that about, because it looks like a lot of times you're able to take that pitch on the outer third and and, and not just make contact, but actually do, do some damage to it. Yeah, I think, I think it's kind of sort of just, just knowing what you're going to get. You know, I think, I don't really think a lot of pitchers will, will come inside. I mean, they, they might try and sneak one in, in on me, but a lot of times they won't try and live there. So, you know, a lot of them will just try and live away, especially with the slow stuff. So I'm just trying to trying to take what they give me. So they just keep feeding me outside. I'll, I'll keep spraying the ball that way. So. So defensively center field, how are you different? How are you a better player out there now than say you were, coming into the draft a couple of years ago um i think i think especially this year i think i feel like i've i've been working on a, a lot my first step and sort of just like just reading balls off the off the bat and trying to trying to just get off as quick as possible so i feel like i feel like i've been i'm improving on that a lot so i think that's a little bit better than last year and i think um I feel like I got a lot of range. I got I got long arms, so I got a little bit more reach than some guys too. So, well, once you get going, I mean, you're 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 covering a lot of ground, obviously, with each step. Mm-hmm. Um, with the with the Nationals, this is kind of it's it's got to be interesting. I imagine in some ways, you guys have this really, you know, there's there's a core here of young talent that's kind of coming up together. You've got. It, I mean, you've got an old high school teammate with you in in one example, but you've got, you know, you got Hassel, you've got pitchers like Susanna who came up. What does it feel like that you guys are building, you know, as far as uh, hope for the future for for Nationals fans? Um, Yeah, I I feel like, I feel we got a a lot of talent, obviously, but I feel like more, more so than that, I feel like you got a lot of guys that will just play the game the right way. You know, I think we could, we're, we're really fast too. So I think it's another thing. We could put a lot of pressure on defenses with, with our legs too. Did, did that like, it feels like that the rules changes and all are kind of creating some more opportunities for that too. Like I've been yeah. watching you coming out of the box. 
There are times where you'll turn a single into a double because he busted out of the box and okay, a little bobble, you're there. But mm-hmm. but also as a base dealer, how's the game a little different now than it was, you know, uh, just a couple of years ago? Yeah, I think I think it almost is sort of like a game within a game because a lot of times like a pitcher might pick off once and, and they, they might be a little more scared to even pick off a second time before they where they even have like the sort of do or die pick off on the third one. So I think I think it definitely gives you a lot more room to be a little bit more aggressive and maybe even if you don't steal, try and get a little bigger lead, try and bait a pick off. So, so it sort of adds another little element to it, I guess. Does the pitch clock help with that sometimes as well? Because like if it gets down to, you know, they've already picked off once and it's down to two or one, it, I've had some guys maybe say that like that a gets a chance for a jump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. I have to try um, that in the spring. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> but so at, with your progression as a hitter, going back to hitting a little bit, like you showed like during the summer, you're coming into your senior year. You were you were one of the more consistent hitters in the you know on, on the showcase circuit, and then that senior year it, there was like you had it seemed like you had to make some adjustments. Like you went from a, I, I believe you went from kind of a a lower handset. You kind of open up. Is it? Mm-hmm. Did you go kind of to the stance that you're still kind of the setup that you're still using now? Is that pretty similar um, to what you were at the end of your senior year? Yeah, I think I think once the season ended, I kind of. I kind of did. I don't want to say like reworked it, but like I kind of just put in a lot of work with with the hitting coach at IMG, and we kind of just I don't know. I I'd rather say like my swing kind of more more so like evolved more than anything. Mm-hmm. I think I like that word a lot better. Mm-hmm. But I feel like what did it evolve into? What did it evolve? What did it help you do better? I don't know. Like I I feel like when I say evolve, I feel like it's more just like. It's kind of like something like it might be a little thing here and a little thing there where it's just like your swing slowly just gets like a little bit more efficient and you kind of learn how you're moving a little bit better and you kind of kind of tighten up those like those holes that you might have had in your swing before. It seems like now again, like watching you're you're now a, a three again, you know, ways, you know, it's not you're not that long in your career, but there aren't a whole lot of guys in the minors who can say that they're a 326 career hitter. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty good uh, batting average to be sitting on. Mm-hmm. Is it about like when you're locked in, is it about like, there's the feel, you know, you got the comfort with your swing, but also it, it feels like that you really can trust your hands. You've got the bat speed. You're not really, having to worry that you're having to try to catch up to the pitcher. It seems like mm-hmm. a lot of times you're, you're kind of in control of those at-bats. Yeah. I think, I think to some extent, like, I feel like I let the pitcher, at least for, for the power aspect, I let the pitcher kind of take care of all that. And I'm, I'm not really just trying to do too much up there, you know, just sort of keep it simple. Did you notice any difference Cal league, you know, coming over to the, uh, to the uh, Carolina league? It, was there a, much difference in as far as the style of play, the caliber play, you know, the caliber pitching, or is it pretty similar? Um, I feel like it's pretty similar. It's just always a little bit of an adjustment, kind of getting used to like a new league and, and sort of seeing guys you haven't really seen too much of before. But I feel like I feel like the the type of arms were, were pretty similar. 
I feel like it always kind of does vary team by team, though, sort of how their, like, development staff kind of not really, like, molds their, their kind of guys, but sort of just who they – how they sort of develop their guys as well, so. Um, but kind of last question, like, you, you talked about being healthy, obviously, is important this year, getting a full season. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, like, what is it that – you know, just spring training, like coming out of spring training, what's going to make you happy? Like, Hey, I I did what I wanted to do in spring training. Like, is there anything in particular or is it just health more than anything? Um, I mean, obviously that's the main goal. I feel like come out of spring training healthy, but I feel like other than that, I feel like, I feel like base running. I feel like I could, I could improve upon on that. I feel like I could have been a little bit more aggressive. So I guess spring, spring sort of the perfect time to, sort of test the limits, see, see how far I can reach, you know, and, and if I get, if I get thrown out, I get thrown out. So I guess that's really just spring training is probably now the time to really experiment with that more than anything. But well, again, really do appreciate the time. Thank you again. And uh, look forward to seeing what you're going to be doing in, in 2023. Thank you. James. Thank you. Thanks for having me.